Hey guys, welcome back to the Blair Wire Project, yet another episode. So we have a good show today. I have a lot of stuff I want to talk about. So fatties are at it again. The fatfluencers, as I would say, are organizing. They're on the stampede. I'm sure you can hear them coming from a mile away, 100 miles away. Um, some Jeffrey Marsh updates, reacting to book TikToks, and I want to reintroduce guests into the show. I know that you guys loved when I had guests on the show, but I also love doing the solo stuff. I know you guys like that too. And so my stupid self was like, well, how do I do guests and solo stuff? Duh, I do solo stuff and guests in the same episode. So later in this episode, we have an update from um, someone who's very beloved by my audience. You guys love him. Shapeshifter is back to give some updates on his health and just the state of LGBT politics in general. And it's a great interview. So stay tuned for that. But let's get into it with someone who is not beloved by my audience or me or anyone who matters, anyone who's sane, anyone who has a moral compass, Jeffrey Marsh. So the Rolling Stone, can, wait, can I get y'all's opinion on like the headbands? Because I'm like obsessed with them. I feel like it gives a slight like 60s look and just give me your opinion in the comments. But Jeffrey Marsh, sorry, I'm like all over the place today. I'm in a weird mood, but it's fine. The Rolling Stone has run cover for Jeffrey Marsh. And I wanted to include this story because the corporate press is absolutely guilty of covering for groomers all the time. And I'm done pretending like it's unintentional. It's very much intentional. So this article, the far right wants this LGBTQ TikToker dead, they say. They say that's the only that's only making them stronger. With the release of their new book, Take Your Own Advice, viral TikTok star Jeffrey Marsh tells Rolling Stone that right-wing backlash won't stand in the way of their mission. First of all, it's very easy in print to like make sure you only say they and them for someone. But can we talk about how it's literally close to impossible in real life? Like, what a nightmare. But so this headline is just ridiculous. First of all, the Rolling Stone has been woke for years now. Like, just ridiculous. Who 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 even reads the Rolling Stone anymore? I don't know. I've seen them do hit pieces on people that are I like love. Like, they did a hit piece on Tom McDonald and interviewed me uh, for that article and like turned it into something negative about me being trans and in his music video rather than something positive about how like a right-wing artist put the first trans woman in a rap video but decided to just be like assholes about it. I don't know. I, I hate the Rolling Stone. Huge hate boner for the Rolling Stone. Um, No one wants Jeffrey Marsh dead. Well, you know, I'm not going to say no one. I'm sure some people do. However, no one who should be taken seriously is really calling for anyone to be harmed, right? This is a situation where you have someone who is addressing children, encouraging children to join something behind a paywall where several of the posts are about sex. You have someone who is actively trying to separate families telling kids that their parents are in the wrong if they're not completely understanding of them being queer or whatever, destroying families and proud of it. That's what people have an issue with. It's not, I can't. This is the same with you have all these drag queen, you know, story hour times and the way that the mainstream media will cover it is the far right is, is threatening violence against drag queens. Is the far right threatening, first of all, far right, like Anytime you hear the far right, there is a 90% chance it's going to mean <laughs> people in the center, people who just aren't libbed the F out at all costs. So I, I take issue with this calling it a far right thing. I think people from all over the political spectrum have witnessed Jeffrey Marsh's demented content and been like, this motherfucker's the devil. The devil, like evil clearly nefarious intentions, right? And I have to say, I'm not here making any like accusations that Jeffrey Marsh has really like preyed on kids in a physical way or enacted any crimes in real life because we just don't have evidence for that. But I have to say this, the older I get, the more I have an understanding of the issue of child predators, you know, the P word that ends with Elia, you know, I've met so many people who have told me, you know, that they were victims of this as children. 
um, that I would never guess were victims without of children. And what I've learned is that when it looks like something is about child predation, then it kind of just is because more often than not, it looks completely innocent, right? So you have, you know, well-respected teachers and priests and, you know, stories of people who you would have never expected to be child predators. And all of a sudden it's out and everyone's shocked because at face value, they seem like moral people. So when it looks like the person is a child predator, it's like overwhelmingly safe to assume that that's true and that your instincts are correct. Does that make sense? It's like, it so rarely looks like the stereotypical like creeper that when it is, it kind of just is. That That's my position. And I feel like it's a safe position to take because in all likelihood, it's like, I just don't, tr- I lean towards an extreme distrust of Jeffrey Marsh's intentions with his child audience. I'll say that. That's how I'll word that. And so the fact that the Rolling Stone is, you know, running cover for this person is just disgusting. But what are you going to do? I often say it's like the LGBT community for decades faced real discrimination, hardships, hatred, um, and they had to learn to always double down and they had to learn to defend anything LGBT related at all costs because the cost was high not to. They were fighting for their rights. So we've been trained to still do that even when it involves someone that does need to be criticized, someone that does need to be, you know, uh, deplatformed. I think that if you, yes, I have no problem calling for a deplatforming of an individual who is using that platform to prey on children, whether it's psychologically, sexually, physically, etc. And I think that Jeffrey Marsh marks maybe more than one box of those, right? But what are you going to do? I'm sure Rolling Stone and CNN and everyone else will continue to run cover for people like Jeffrey Marsh and we'll continue dragging him. <laughs> All right. The fatties are at it again. The fat fluencers, that's the new word I'm using for them, are organizing. They're on the stampede. They're, the new mission of the fat positivity movement is to change the ways in which they fly. So this um, fat fluencer named, what's her name? Jalen is going viral right now and making headlines for her proposition of how airlines should handle flying while fat. Let's see what she has to say. Have you heard stories of plus size travelers being ridiculed, humiliated, or even removed from flights because of their size? It's a common fear among the plus size community and it's absolutely unacceptable. Join my petition calling on the FAA to require all airlines to have a written official customer of size policy for plus size travelers. This policy will provide accessible additional seats, clear communication, reimbursement, accommodations, and employee training. As my petition states, all plus size passengers should be provided with an additional seat or two or three depending on their size and need during a flight for comfort. Under this policy, airlines should also offer a straightforward refund process for those who are buying additional seats independently. Under this policy, employees must be trained to handle sensitive situations and provide appropriate customer service. Sign this petition to demand that airlines take concrete steps towards making air travel more inclusive and accommodating for all passengers. Let's ensure that everybody can fly comfortable without fear of discrimination. Sign my petition now, link in bio. So this is the first video. And the second video is of her walking down the aisle on an airplane to give an example of what she's talking about, how airplanes are fat phobic. Let's watch that. The caption says, honestly, it's discrimination that they can't build wider aisles in airplanes in 2023. And for the audio listeners, she's moving throughout the plane and you know, having a really hard time like squeezing in the aisle because she's very, very large, like huge. Like her hips are giving continent. She has continental hips. <laughs> All right, you get the point. She can't move through the plane. So a few things. I'm totally okay with policies stating that, you know, customer service should be maybe like not so like, just making sure they're not disrespectful to fat people because no one deserves to be disrespected in public. Like 
we're all adults here. Like everyone puts on, you know, one leg of their pants at a time, right? Like I'm like all of you guys too. It's like I, you know, tuck my balls inside my body and put my Crocs on like every other person watching this video. I'm not okay today. Anyways, in all seriousness, um, the idea that you should get three seats for free or, you know, get three seats for the cost of one simply because of your life choices is nuts. And I think it's a sad state of the world where this woman really thought to pull out the camera, have herself recorded walking down an aisle that she cannot actually move through, and somehow turn that into a petition or any type of argument that that's about the world needing to change rather than her needing to change, right? Right. First of all, this is not exactly a demographic that corporations need to necessarily pander to, at least in the travel industry, because the unfortunate reality is like, a lot of y'all aren't even going to be around for much longer anyways. This is something that kills people. Being this morbidly obese kills people. And I think to be a fat fluencer is just as negative as being someone like a Eugenia Cooney right? Who is intentionally, some people have this argument that Eugenia Cooney, who by the way, is the very, very anorexic YouTuber. And people say, well, maybe she's not directly promoting her lifestyle. You, you absolutely are. If you're not actively saying that you're unhealthy for the weight you are, then that's wrong. So I just, it's just like this entitlement. And, and first of all, we have such a lack of real problems in this country, for all the problems we do have, this kind of thing makes me feel like we really don't have that many problems, right? Because <laughs> it's just like the fact that she's here taking up this mantle and filming herself, just very being so serious. And and this is really her fight, right? This is really like, I'm fighting to get free seats for fat people. It's like, I promise you everything will be better if you just lost weight. And I hate that people's instinct is not to just say that, right? It is so harmful to just say that. Like I look at someone, I look at her in this video and I see someone who's very much struggling and I feel terrible about that because when I even go here, it's like right now I'm like probably five to seven pounds heavier than I want to be. And that's because I've been in a deep depression for like a month and a half. I've been in a very dark place and it's hard when you are in a dark place to take care of yourself. And so that's how I know that a lot of these people that end up this morbidly obese, they are so deep in the hole. And the only way for them to cope with that is to treat it as if they're some marginalized group because of it. And it's like, baby girl, you're not marginalized. You're busting out of the margins. You shouldn't be like... I do agree that they should be able to buy multiple seats because I think there's some airlines that don't even allow you to buy multiple seats for one person. You probably should be able to buy like two seats because ain't nobody trying to sit next to you. And that's just being real. Like I've sat next to obese people and it is absolutely a hellish experience. And if there's two obese people on either side of you, you straight up don't have a seat despite you paying for it. So it's very unfair to everyone else on the plane. You know, people need to, this mentality of like, my problems are actually, is actually the world's fault is really, really a deep rooted toxic element of society today. It is no one else's problem that you've eaten yourself to this state. And don't say it's your thyroid. Don't say it's, I get that there are external factors. You know, I have no idea what's going on in your life, Jalen, to end up eating yourself to this, to this weight. And Whatever's happened to you is not fair. And I extend, I know I sound like a bitch all the time and I've sounded very bitchy in this segment and I've cracked jokes at your expense, but I really do extend a lot of human empathy to you that something clearly must have happened to eat yourself to the state. I am not being disingenuous because I know that when I lose control of my weight and my body, it's because I got some shit going on. So... I feel bad, but that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't mean that fat people are some marginalized group that needs special rights or special or or excess care. You you just need to take responsibility for your life. You know, life is short. Why make it even shorter allowing yourself 
to be like this and trying to make it okay and trying to get the world to be okay with it. The world will never be okay with it. So change yourself. The world is not going to change around you. All right. I have lockdown nostalgia and I know I'm not alone, says Harriet Walker of the Times. Baby girl, that's Stockholm Syndrome. That's not nostalgia. That's Stockholm Syndrome. That's you being emotionally and psychologically abused by your abuser, aka the government. I hate this. I hate, and I posted this on my Instagram story and I had a few people even that follow me that are like, well, you know, I'm not going to lie. I have some nostalgia for, for that time as well because I got so much done. Okay. If you have nostalgia for the government locking you in your home for three years, you got you got some problems. There's the amount of psychological harm in mass that lockdowns caused for you to be nostalgic towards that. People losing their businesses, people losing their lives. Don't don't put that on anyone else, baby. That's that's you. That's you having, you know, let's not normalize lockdowns. Let's not make it seem like it might be some fun or kitschy thing to have happen again. Because it wasn't. It was, in my opinion, the largest human rights violation that I have witnessed in my lifetime. And I have spoken to people much older than me who confirm that they have never seen a larger human rights violation in their lifetime. We're in this weird period. I was talking about this with Roseanne, funnily enough. Um, we're in this weird period where people are pretending like it never happened and that it wasn't awful and there's just no discussion about like how to make sure it doesn't happen again. But I know for damn sure the way you make sure it doesn't happen again is writing these fugazi ass articles talking about I have lockdown nostalgia. Keep it to yourself. Ain't nobody trying to hear that because a lot of people were deeply harmed by lockdowns. Like if, if you want to just stay at home for the rest of your life, Figure out a way to do that without calling for lockdowns again. Disgusting. Also disgusting. So, you know how like my whole career I have been referred to as transphobic, as a gatekeeper, as um, a pick me, as someone who paints the trans community in an incorrect light, you know? trans community has a hate boner for me. They always have. And I've been known as the person who has like created this term trans trender. Well, look where we are now. There's this new trend on Twitter where women, biological females, are posting what they look like with their he, him pronouns in their bio. This is a big trend. And it's just amazing to look at these women. I'm going to show you some of these tweets. Lane says, how I look with he, him pronouns in my bio. Oh, wow. So you're a female in a bikini who has not transitioned. And I don't know, the most masked thing about you is you have a mullet. You have a full face of makeup. Your tits out. So this isn't a transgender. So Blair White has just been wrong about there being such a thing as a trend to be trans when you have a woman who is not trans using he, him pronouns. And I'm supposed to believe because trans is an umbrella term. It can mean anything and nothing at the same time that this person is the same as me or even in the same ballpark as my experience, my life my condition that I've dealt with my entire life. I'm supposed to look at this person and be like, oh my God, that's my trans sibling. Solidarity. You're a woman who identifies looks and is perceived as a woman. To argue that that is in the same ballpark as an individual who was born male, who looks like a woman, has medically transitioned, is perceived as a woman to pretend as if those are even remotely similar when in fact they are the exact opposite. I am the exact opposite in every way as this person. And yet 
the trans community will enforce that. I'm supposed to look at this and be like, oh my God, me. No, not me at all. Not me at all. There's more. <laughs> this, one, this one says, how are you serving cunt in a transmasculine way? Another woman in a bikini with a mullet. Why is why are they all wearing mullets? Like, do, do these bitches think that wearing a mullet makes them a man? And can we talk about like what the F even is trans mask? Like you're either a trans man or a trans woman. This is one of the first things I noticed when I went to trans support groups before I came out is that they were trying to push these phrases like trans masculine and trans feminine and that trans women and trans men, those phrases were on the way out. That was like my first sort of like dipping in the community where I was like, oh, there's something else happening here. They're actually pushing transsexuals out and they're creating this new thing where you can be a woman, a whole fucking female talking about I'm trans with having never done anything to yourself, never gone through anything. Like disgusting, disgusting. Imagine this person on Twitter, um, Morgan, whose handle is transmed scum, which is very funny captioned it. And I think this is so perfectly written. Picture yourself as blind, reliant on support groups and advocacy organizations designed specifically for your unique needs. Now imagine that these groups are infiltrated by those with perfect vision, insisting they're blinds too, hijacking the narrative and ousting anyone who dares to call out their charade. This isn't inclusivity, this appropriation. It's transgressing boundaries. It's devaluing genuine experiences. Don't confuse exhibitionism with transsexualism. Open your eyes and see the mockery. Hashtag transsexual, not transgender. Boo. Booyah. Perfect. Perfectly written in exactly how I feel. These women who I'm sure would be the first people to, you know, throw out accusations of cultural appropriation or ableism are the exact same people appropriating in actual condition that I have. And I'm supposed to look at this bitch with the mullet in the bikini and be like, oh my God, same. No, I never will. That's called the trans trender. And I don't give a fuck how many of you trans YouTubers have made little digital essays about Blair White over the years and said, I can't believe she just popularized this term of trans trender. What a toxic transphobe. Look what you did. Look what you morons did. You've given these basic bitches leeway to appropriate appropriate what we are creating an immense amount of backlash here's another one how i look with he him pronouns in my bio another biological woman just taking a pic in the bathroom <laughs> presenting completely as female yeah that's a joke you bitches are a joke don't care don't care how mean it comes across. I think it's a whole lot more mean to appropriate someone's actual suffering, someone's actual life story. Be you, bitch. That's all I'm trying to do over here. Being a fucking transsexual is just be me. And that can seem like a contradictory statement to some people. How are you being you if you change this? Whatever, that's still being me. If, if, if I felt the need to change it, then changing it is me. That's my decision. You're not giving, none, none of these hoes are giving he, him. So <laughs> it's just insane. I mean, the, the trajectory of the trans community really is just insane. And I'm not trying to do a spoiler alert because I'm, this will come out before this video, but my next main channel video is going to be called I'm Not Transgender because clearly this is transgender. This is an ideology. I'm a transsexual. I am not transgender. I really don't think I am because if transgender is this cultural political term, there's nothing cultural or political about being a transsexual. There is about being transgender. It's being a woman in a bathroom, taking a selfie, talking about he, him. That's clearly a trend, a cultural phenomenon, nothing to do with what I am. So yeah, I don't think I am transgender. I think I'm a transsexual. And I think that it's time for me to really come out and say that in a main channel video. All right. It is time to react to woke TikToks, the bane of my existence. Suffer with me as we watch. Trans activists tell kids on TikTok that puberty blockers temporarily pauses puberty and you can just resume puberty when you want. Better caption, trans activists tells kids on TikTok lies. What are hormone blockers and how do they affect 
touch your body? Well, Hormone blockers are a series of injections and or an implant that you can have put in your arm that temporarily pauses puberty. Oh, what do you mean temporarily pauses puberty? For people assigned male at birth, puberty blockers will decrease facial hair and body hair growth, prevent your voice from getting deeper, and will limit eggplant growth. <laughs> and for people assigned female at birth, Hormone blockers will prevent booby growth and getting your period. <laughs> no more periods. Hey. I, I can't watch the rest However, of it. However, once you stop taking puberty I can't blockers, watch the rest your body of it. will then go into puberty, and that's why it's only temporary. <laughs> you know, I really wish that made me want to die less. That would be nice if this just made me want to die a little less than I want to at this moment. Imagine thinking you are some sort of like cultural dissident. You are some sort of like fighter for people's rights, you know, protector of innocent children. When in reality, you've been conned because you're a basic bitch who can be conned, right? You're dumb. You're not smart. You've been conned into making cringe marketing videos for Big Pharma. That's what you are. And you're doing it for free. You have been tricked into thinking it is a moral imperative for you to make videos advertising Lupron, a drug to chemically castrate pedophiles and marketing it towards children. And you're not even getting paid. Lisa Dillon Mulvaney is getting paid for, for all the shit that Dylan does. Lisa Dillon's running up a coin. You're sitting up here trying to lie to children for free to put money in the pockets of pharmaceutical companies for a drug that which there are no long-term studies of how they actually affect kids. And you are so stupid, so deeply unintelligent that you believe that a drug that stops a young girl's period is simply irreversible and safe and no side effect. Yeah, okay, we'll talk about brain swelling. Let's talk about permanent, um, you know, height, uh, what's the word? stunting you know it's just insane it's insane and who talks like that again i'm i wish you made me want to die less i was having a good day and now i'm ready for my day to end all right people now have a different set of pronouns which specifically identify groups are allowed to use for them let's 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 see what this, it's always the hair. Happy Pride, everybody. I already mentioned this in my story, but um, I've added a new set of pronouns to the pronouns that I'm comfortable being called. I've been sitting on Faye Fair Fair's pronouns for a while and honestly kind of psyching myself out about it. I'm like, oh, do I really want to like change this again? And then I like realized, I was like, who cares? Like if I decide that I don't like them, I can just stop using them. My other thing about this new set of pronouns is that I would only like for queer and trans people to use them for me. Cishet people, they, them. Queer and or trans people, you can use they, them, or Fayfair. It's all good with me. I'm excited because Fayfair pronouns make me feel very affirmed in my not feeling like a person. More appropriation of transsexuals. And because the general public has no knowledge of transsexuals, really, this is what they see. And so the amount of people willing to stand up for actual transsexuals is really limited to just like four of us that are willing to speak up, right? And that's what sucks. This basic bitch with daddy issues really has the nerve to fix Zim's mouth and say, who cares? If I just want to stop using it, I can't. Common theme. The last episode, we, we reacted to another woke TikToker who was like, sometimes I'm trans, sometimes I'm not. And I said to that person, good for you, bitch. You can turn it off. I can't. Again, the expectation for me to look at this person who thinks that pronouns are a way to enact power on people to say this group can call me this and that group can call me that, but this group can't. 
And I'm supposed to look at that and be like, oh my God, that's so similar to my story of a crippling gender dysphoria since the age of five that I underwent a very specific medical process to alleviate once I became an adult. I'm supposed to look at this person as some sort of parallel to me. And that makes sense to anyone? Raise your hand if that makes sense to you, please. And the idea of like, announcement, I added new pronouns. Pronouns are not a replacement, or they shouldn't be, for attaining a new goal, a new hobby, a new job, a new relationship. So you use these people that have no fulfillment in their life. Instead of collecting new achievements in life, they collect pronouns. And at the cost of who? First of all, themselves and embarrassing themselves online because <laughs> embarrassing. And second of all, embarrassing actual transsexuals. And it's enraging me every episode I have to sit here and like, look at them. Disgusting. Busted. Crusted. Disgusted. But you know what isn't busted and crusted and disgusted? I got to make a shirt with that, right? Absolutely. I got to make a shirt. Coming soon. But Okay interview with shapeshifter coming up and i hope you guys enjoy it all right you guys so i have heard you loud and clear you guys want guests back on the show and honestly i've wanted guests back too but i've had to figure out what is a way to have guests on and still do the solo stuff because i like running my mouth obviously just including them in the solo episodes so first back i thought it was only right to have shapeshifter back Thank you. you guys met Shape, I would say this was almost a year ago now on the podcast, and he told his story of detransition. And in my opinion, Shape changed the entire conversation around detransitioners and opened up a whole new opened up a whole new discussion that has been so valuable. So welcome back to the Shape Show. Welcome thank back you. to the show, Shape. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. And thank you for signal boosting me a year ago. It was very important to raise awareness about the transition as well as complications around sex reassignment surgery in a timely manner. Since then, I had so many people reach out to me and share their complications, as well as a lot of people told me that seeing me on your show helped them to break a little bit their medical transition and rethink things how far they want to go ahead and some people literally said that they had deposit down to go into the surgery to get sex reassignment done but after seeing the show they changed their minds they decided they're better waiting or just learning to live with their genital dysphoria so all that is nice but i never expected to be thrown out <laughs> in a public light like that um so it for sure affected my mental health in the long run constantly having people discuss my genitals <laughs> um constantly discuss um what is my partner's sexuality Going into transition, I never wanted to be a public person, to be honest. I've only started posting videos about transition stuff after I started having complications. And even though I'm glad my story helped a lot of people, it's definitely, I'm questioning, maybe I should have just been quiet about my situation like a lot of people are. And to be honest, privately, some even somewhat famous trans activists have told me that they have complications too, but obviously it's their story to share. But even them, I was like, I don't know if it's worth it to share your story because yes, you will help a lot of people, but then also your life will be exposed forever. It's like doing the right. porn movie once you put out a video <laughs> talking about your genitals and outing yourself as a biological man, it will always be there. Right. And <laughs> so this is one of the things that I, you know, Obviously, I am so thankful that we did that initial episode and when she came on and, you know, meeting you was awesome. And I think that it's been such a positive thing, but I have felt a slight amount of maybe guilt isn't the right word, but I have felt as though, you know, I really put you out there publicly in a way that you maybe weren't before. And I know that that is so mentally toxic coming from someone who's done this for seven years and has been involved in this very specifically, very particularly toxic area of the internet. Uh, and so, you know, I'm always just kind of like making sure that you're like good, like checking on you on social media, because I just feel like maybe you weren't necessarily ready for that, but I got to say the way you've handled it with so much grace, so much, um, 
you know, you've been so articulate and you have helped so many people and you've gone on, I've seen you do stuff on like, you know, Jubilee and do like huge interviews. And that has been just like amazing. So I know that it's a double-sided sword, like being so open and so public. I've felt that way my whole career, but you know, you really have helped a lot of people. Like it's been overall a positive thing for the world, even though it can be hard on you, I'm sure. But I wanted to ask you, do you think that there has been actual progress with, you know, the way in which detransitioners are perceived in the public since that initial interview and with the healthcare that is provided to detransitioners? Or do you think we're sort of just still in the same like muddy waters? Uh, we're very much in muddy waters. Um, I don't regret meeting you and doing that interview because it did help a lot of people, specifically in trans community <laughs> and the trans as well and everyone because your audience is very diverse. <laughs> You're not as much of a deep in an echo chamber like some other creators. <laughs> so it yeah. definitely reached a more diverse audience and it was an honor meeting you. And again, the whole discourse a lot of the times are around the trans woman because their stories fit more of a narrative <laughs> that more people who are more on the right and religious people can use we and fans like female to male like biologically female yeah yeah exactly yeah. because um again society sees us as perverts <laughs> uh it doesn't matter what we identify as they see us just like clowns cross-dressers perverts <laughs> versus women are often just seen as victims of what happened to them and yeah. So, and I, in a lot of ways, being in a de-trans community in a way for a year, I've noticed that it mirrors in a lot of ways trans community. So we had gay for pay and then we had trans for pay. <laughs> and now we have de-trans for pay. <laughs> so some people, uh, you know, they didn't get enough attention as trans people. So they de-transition and get more attention that way. So there is some of that going on. And um, at the end of the day, I felt kind of... Um, left behind a little bit because I don't fit any narratives. <laughs> you know, I guess I'm no longer real trans. People tell me I'm not a real man still. And people tell me I'm not, I will never be a real woman. So I'm just this weird space where people, you know, I don't really fit in into any boxes. So that's been a little bit difficult, <laughs> especially as I was a big, um, you know, event in Ireland where a lot of detransitioners went and some people that I was very close to and they didn't even tell me they were going from America, I would have went with them. So that kind Wait, of they were, what was that? They went where? There was a conference in Ireland and a lot of people I know detransitioners from United States ended up going and I was okay. close to a couple of them. <laughs> we were talking like off camera for many hours and they never told me they were going to that conference. <laughs> Or I would have went with them. And that to me showed me that I don't really belong anywhere 100%. And when I started, I guess, the activism thing, I thought I would be able to promote gender nonconformity because I felt like that's what pushed me into transition in the first place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that I felt like I had to become a woman to be able to wear clothing that I'm wearing. <laughs> But now I realize that a lot of people who support me that are on far right, they're very uncomfortable with gender nonconformity. So yeah. somehow they think that they're going to defeat gender ideology and stop medicalization of kids. But they also want everyone to conform to sex stereotypes. I mean, yeah. we don't have data on medicalization of gender nonconformity, but we definitely know that gender nonconformity has existed always. <laughs> can, I, can I just jump in really quick? Yeah, I totally... Agree with that. And one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately is how the left and the right both have created in some ways this detransition nightmare, right? You know, in an ideal world, there should be no detransitioners. The only people who transition should be people who are benefited from it. That would be the ideal world. And you look at what creates the scenario in which someone goes on that path and regrets it. And in some ways, the right is guilty as well. You know, I recently criticized Ben Shapiro for, you know, wanting to outlaw or not wanting to outlaw, I should say more specifically, he stated that he would be okay with governments within the U.S., like local governments banning men from wearing women's clothing and vice versa. And I think, you know, that creates people who feel like they have to transition. If you are limiting people's options of expression, they're going to jump to that. There are so many people who would be very happy to, you know, you've been very honest and said that you, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
you wish you would have been told that you could just present as a man in women's clothing and be feminine and embrace your femininity without having to change your sex. Well, if you're taking that option away by, you know, making it illegal or just heavily stigmatizing people wearing certain clothing, then people feel like they have to to transition. And that happens in Middle Eastern countries a lot where it's more shameful to be a gay man than it is to be a transsexual. And you see gay men transitioning to become straight. Um, So it all kind of boils down to that hatred of gender nonconformity, which is, you know, I think present on both the right and the left, you see people on the left saying that if you like the color pink, it means you have to transition. You have people on the right saying that you shouldn't be wearing, you know, clothing that's not prescribed to your biological sex. And all of it just limits freedom and puts people in these boxes and pushes them to make decisions they shouldn't be making. Am I wrong? No, you're 100% right, because um, gender stereotypes is what also gender ideology relies on to define what trans is, what transition yeah. is. And it's really comical that all those people with multiple degrees that are in government somehow saying that they're going <laughs> to ban transition, medical transition, but also get all the men wear flannel shirts and all the girls wear dresses. If we're fighting for kids, we have to fight for all the kids, okay? Not just uh, straight kids that are going to be gender conforming. And little gay kids, little gay kids or little feminine boys or masculine girls, tomboys, those are the primary victims of being misled down a false path of transition. Those are the primary victims being told you are trans and then end up making a mistake. So for people on the right to also hate that gender nonconformity, it's kind of like you can't have it both ways. You have to give those kids an avenue and, and a way to tell them you can dress how you want. You can be how you want. You don't have to have a sex change. Right. So, and in terms of like, whether waters are still muddy, it hundred percent is because when I talked to you a year ago, I was just starting taking testosterone and then my blood test revealed that testosterone was evaporizing into estrogen. So I actually got more feminized oh and gosh. I was just feeling like hungry and horny for vitamin D like all the time. And <laughs> it's kind of very traumatic to bring attention to your genital and crave like, you know, sexual encounters when your genitals um, you know, pretty much have been switched around and I can't have sex the way I was able to before the sex change surgery. And I can't have it the way I thought in my head I would be able to. And since then, I was looking into genital reconstruction surgery and I had this D-trans man on my YouTube channel who had a sex change reversal while he went and got phalloplasty after vaginoplasty. Oh, However, wow. he told me it was a very painful surgery. His name is Billy Burley. So he had to go back and take that new phallus apart and put the skin where it came from. So he kind of like went through sex change operations like multiple times. <laughs> so yeah, it is insane. And I realized like phalloplasty is not going to be an option for me. So I've been trying to look into, you know, genital reconstruction. Um, but as you know, Tulip, who was on your channel, he has stopped taking testosterone. He's choosing to be on estrogen because probably for similar reasons, it is very traumatic. It is uncharted territory. We don't have really much data on people who have tried to detransition after sex reassignment yeah. surgery. And it also changes like hormonal level changes what kind of partner you want. It changes uh, how you feel. And I'm all kinds of confused. I really am. And I don't know, like what to do i i don't feel like i belong anywhere sometimes i don't know which version of me is real or was real so i feel such a disconnect i'm so confused part of it of course having so many different levels of hormones so i'm possibly planning to go off testosterone as well till i can um do something about my genital reconstruction which i'm still exploring options which i don't have that many of this is why these conversations are so important because, you know, we are definitely like, you know, in a territory that is so new. The fact that you have no even general idea of what you should do medically for yourself and what would be the optimal thing for you to do right now is such an issue. The fact that the medical establishment both completely ignores detransitioners and also, you know, even when they don't ignore them, has no real solutions to offer. And this, again, reinforces, you know, just, we don't have to even get into this because I just talk about it so much, but this, again, just reinforces, you know, my belief that children should not transition because when you get into this, you know, possibility of them detransitioning, then they're in this no man's land where they can't navigate it at all. 
you know, you're in this position and you don't deserve to be in this position. Um, but I wanted to ask you because, you know, I think it's a very easy conversation to sit here and, you know, talk about how the left doesn't support detransitioners or trans people in the right way. And then, but we have to also talk about, you know, the right. And you recently criticized, um, Ron DeSantis for the new law in Florida, which requires people to use public restrooms that correspond with their birth certificate, the gender marker on their birth certificate. So, um, and we had an interesting talk about that off camera. I wanted to elaborate on. So, would you want to elaborate on your position on that law in Florida? Okay, so as I said, I always wanted to promote gender nonconformity. That was my original idea to hopefully give people more options. Right. Um, however, I was one of the detransitioners who testified in Florida against medicalization of children. And I also, one of my last surgeries was in Florida, so I had a right to go there and testify because mm-hmm. that's where the final surgery called vaginoplasty happened. But once the bill came out, I agreed with all of what they did pretty much, except for now, according to the new bill, when you're in a bathroom in Florida and if somebody wants you to leave and you say no, you get arrested and get charged with second degree misdemeanor. And then if you're sex marker on your license at the time of arrest doesn't match your birth certificate, then that's when I guess you get charged with second degree misdemeanor, which is crazy to me because this is going to hurt androgynous people, androgynous women. Um, This is going to hurt women who are considered masculine because they have naturally deeper voice, or maybe they had PCOS as a kid, which is like a hormonal imbalance. This is going to hurt detrans women. That is, there are so many of them now. And some of them were working with, you know, Florida legislators (laughs) to pass these bills. I mean, a lot of them constantly posting on Reddit how they're afraid to be confused for trans women because trans women and gender nonconforming men are the most hated ones. (laughs) So it's going to hurt um, as well. Let, let me just give a little bit of clarity on the law so people in the comments know. So the law basically sets it up sets up a system in which in a public restroom, if someone it's so vague, does it mean just someone else in the restroom asks you to leave or has to be a staff member? I think it is either or, right? Like if you are asked to leave a public restroom because visibly your gender doesn't seem to correspond with it. And then you refuse to leave and then you're kicked out. Then you're charged with a second degree misdemeanor. But what's so crazy about that is this is the issue with one size fits all laws. You're right. This is going to impact detransitioners because a situation like you, you've had this sex change that you now regret that you cannot come back from. There's nothing really you could do to enter either or a restroom and that be the exact like specific right place for you. Because if you were to enter a men's restroom and then get asked to leave, but you're male. So this is why, you know, to me, the bathroom debacle in debate, I've always said this, has always been really ridiculous in comparison to other serious issues. So you have locker rooms, which I think are, which I think are very different areas where people are actually exposing genitals. You have sports, you have all these other areas that come up as problems. And there simply is no statistical reality of anyone being, you know, SA, it will say in public bathrooms. So the focus on that is bizarre to me. Second of all, you're right. Detransitioners helped to get that bill passed, and then they snuck that in there, something that harms you guys. So I think that's important for people to know. Yeah, and also it's going to push a lot of people to undergo risky surgeries and attempt to pass. (laughs) So it's, what? (laughs) This is exactly what I didn't want. I wanted people not to try to pass as much (laughs) and get the surgeries and drugs, you know, in order to achieve a certain look. Mm -hmm. But it's also going to, again, affect women that don't fit those toxic stereotypes we're trying to find. There's a viral video of like a woman, like a biological woman being kicked out of a women's restroom just because she looks masculine. And it's like, I think that's what people don't understand. It kind of boils down to, right? It's like, it's such a difficult area. And like, this is why 
the the child sex change legislation, the states that are banning it, I fully support that because I think that needs to be hardlined and on the books. But when you're legislating a lot of these other issues, I think the best possible thing is to create a cultural change rather than a legislative one because those are far from perfect, right? It's far better to change people's hearts and minds on issues than, you know, force laws, which then cause more problems than, you know, but they also- want. You can change birth certificate. I knew a few trans women who have been able to change their birth certificate. So this is not a foolproof like way to handle things. Um, honestly, this is just a little ridiculous. I can see a lot of lawsuits happening because once people get falsely arrested, <laughs> they will probably be able to sue the police for falsely arresting them or people who accuse them, ask them to be kicked out, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this is going to be so weird. But of course, I agree that there were things in this bill such as to protect women's sports and protect you know all the locker rooms like you said these are way more important than bathrooms but again i've realized that a lot of um it doesn't matter to a lot of people that you've been fighting for women's rights and uh, to protect children for years that would still throw both of us into male prison and make us go into male bathroom if they could like that's what i came to conclusion to <laughs> and that's why i feel even more politically homeless and also spiritually homeless at this point there's been so much push for me to become christian and let jesus in, into my heart it wasn't enough for people for me to come and share my stories They're like no you can't be gay now you have to be straight you have to praise the gay away and i just realized uh coming out with my story how much homophobia is still in society and that kind of triggered my internalized homophobia and there's days that I don't want to be a man. <laughs> I really don't. And I just started hating myself more. And it just sucks so bad that I'm stuck in this weird space when I can't even figure out what to do with myself. And you gave me good advice not to focus so much on on a label, but just try to be myself, I guess. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Um, my therapist tried to put me on mood stabilizers, but I, I no longer trust like big pharma or doctors because I have medical trauma now on top of all the trauma I've been through. So I'm trying to kind of heal myself from within or just trying to unpack what has happened to me and where things went wrong, how I could come back at least from some of my wounds and traumas. And on the other hand, it doesn't help that a lot of people are like, we're telling the truth, like you have a wound between your legs right so at what point do you go just being mean to people right <laughs> and at what point you just tell the truth well this is why you know this is why i'm such an individualist because i've for whatever reason throughout my life really recognize that groups are always the problem. <laughs> like anytime, you know, the fact that you have groups now trying to convert you to you know this religion or that religion or telling you how to be you know in my opinion and this is, I think this applies to you. I know it applies to me and it applies to everyone really. If you're getting hate from groups, this group, that group, that group, then you're doing something right. And I don't mean that on a shallow level. I mean, that means that you are not, you are not muting any part of yourself to appease them. So there are tons, like you said, there are tons of right-wingers who hate me and it's because I refuse to mute certain parts of myself to be part of that group. I'm not part of a group. I'm me. I'm Blair White. You're a shapeshifter. You know what I mean? So in an ideal, you know, for some on the right, the ideal world would be I come out tomorrow and I come out as a detransitioner and I throw the whole trans thing, you know, the baby out with the bathwater and I come and, you know, force all that out that's not true to who I am, right? A left-winger's perfect world is where Blair White comes out and denounces everyone on the right. Never going to happen for either of those groups, you know? It's so important to stand exactly where you are in the world, no matter how many groups are coming at you from whatever different angles, because you'll never be able to appease even one of them perfectly. And if you ever do find yourself, you know, appeasing a group perfectly and they all love you, that's when you know you've joined a cult, right? So right. that's how, you know, I'm sure at one point, you know, in your transition, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm sure when you were identifying as, as you know, trans, a trans woman, yeah. I'm sure a lot of trans people, I'm sure they all loved you, but then you desist, desisted and then all yeah. of a sudden they hated you, right? So you were, it's, it's so important to just be yourself, yeah. Exactly. And I definitely got love bombed by trans community. But then when I was, I guess, announcing my detransition or attempted detransition, I also got love bombed by other groups that needed my story in a way. Right. And in a way, I, 
after being in the soup, I realized what's destroying our society is all these radical ideas. And everybody thinks that they're on the right side of history and nobody's willing to listen to the other side and hopefully meet in the middle. And that applies like throughout everything, politics and all that. Um, honestly, after seeing what Ron DeSantis passed, um, you've talked multiple times in the past about how pendulum swings. And honestly, I'm scared right now <laughs> that they're not going to just stop at banning transition for kids or even people under 25. I feel like they, got, they may take it further. <laughs> and if it comes down to Ron DeSantis and somebody else, Trump or someone, I'm voting for somebody else. That's how it's, I'm going to do it. And it's going to be the first time I'm voting. I realize how it's important to vote <laughs> and have your voice and your opinion to be heard. It just seems like there's a lot of people in radical left and right and they get a lot of attention because radical ideas get clicks and views and i say and it's also important that these radical ideas and when it means radical when i when i hear when i think of like radical ideas when it comes to like the trans issue i think of people who are just anti-pragmatic right people whose solutions are so far removed from the real world or what's actually best (laughs) for people so you know People need to think about if you're empathetic towards detransitioners, that does not involve supporting laws that hurt them either directly or by accident, like these bathroom laws. That means figuring out a way that everyone is, you know, safe and everyone, you know, has freedom. And so I think it's a lot of detransitioners have told me that they feel used by the rights and used by this group and that group. Um, do you feel that way? Do you feel like your story has been like used and abused by different groups of people? Um, a little bit, but not too much. I want to also mention how mainstream medias have not covered my story because I was refusing to give them like my childhood pictures and all that, which is like so creepy that they they won't cover my story because they can't. Well, they want a spectacle, right? They want yeah, a spectacle. exactly. Oh, look at that poor kid. That's when the trauma happened or something like that. It's like so freaking creepy, and it's like they want everything they can get out of you. And I quickly realized you can't trust media, and. I don't feel like I got as used, but I'm worried for younger people in the trans community who are getting literally again love bombed and being used as a mouthpiece. And I wonder if they will at some point regret it down the line for saying certain things or aligning with certain people. In a way, I'm kind of lucky that certain people just didn't reach out to me to cover my story because I didn't didn't know what to do with my story just based on the way I look. I also had some media ask me to prove that I had the surgeries I had, which is like ridiculous. it's just like insane and um i don't feel as used but it's definitely been hard because we're tribal people by nature if you believe in evolution (laughs) so once kind of part of me wants to find my tribe and as a part of me at this point identifies as alien because i just feel alienated (laughs) from everyone and yeah I i relate to that i i definitely relate to that but you know what we are tribal beings and we do have a natural animalistic instinct to like look for group approval. But I think that those of us who actively work to fight against that instinct, I think it is ultimately um, a better way to be because you find yourself getting, you know, less caught up in the BS, less caught up in making bad decisions. And, you know, I think personally, I know that there are a lot of detransition stories that maybe fit that narrative more, that mainstream media narrative of like, I was a boy, I became a girl, now I'm a boy again, and now I look like a boy again. And now I know that that's like the the mainstream narrative people would want, and then you don't fit that. But I think your story is so much more valuable because of that. The fact that you can say, no, I transitioned because... I wanted to embrace my femininity, but I was misled on the proper way to do that. But that doesn't mean that I don't still have that innate femininity. I'm not still myself, right? That's what I get from you. I get that you support people just being exactly who they are, being individuals. And that's always aligned with my message. And that's why I'll always have your back. And, you know, I just want you to know that, and I've said this to you in private, and, and I'll say it here because there are other people that I think could benefit from this. Pacing is so important. Like I see you sometimes on Twitter, if I, if I can say, yes, um, <laughs> maybe like like 
crumbling a little bit in the sense of like, you struggle sometimes with how toxic the space is. And I get that. And so just always take however many days off you need, share exactly what you want, share none of what you don't want. You don't owe anyone anything. You owe no one, nothing. You've always get, you already have given so much of yourself to the world and to the public that if you stopped now, you would have already done more for the world than 99% of people. It's only the fact that you still continue to fight and still share your story that that's your choice, right? And just know that you are helping so many people and we have to cut the interview here, Shape, but is there anything you want to say to um, the, just the general public about these issues or the D-trans community? Anything else you want to say? Um, just take people as individuals and try to keep an open mind and not make any assumptions based on somebody's presentation. Closing is just closing. Um, Freedom of expression and freedom of speech should not only go as far as your political party and ideology. (laughs) Yes. Um, I'm worried for humanity in general. (laughs) I'm kind of disappointing how like things are going. in terms of everything really in the world. And I just hope that we can somehow find solutions to be, to meet in the middle or have AI solve the problems and leave human emotions out of it or something. I don't know what the solution would be. Um, I don't know. I'm right now feeling hopeless about future of LGBT rights, <laughs> the way things went recently. And um, I don't know. I don't, I really don't know. Well, like you so, said so earlier, I think... Like you said earlier, I think that pendulum always swings. And just because it's swinging one way, it eventually has to rest somewhere in the middle. It has to. It'll it'll eventually just, we'll get it right. Right now we're in this period of figuring stuff out, but you've been a huge player in helping the world figure that out. All right, you guys, that is it for this episode of The Blair White Project. Make sure you subscribe to this channel as well as my main channel. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram and rate this podcast on Spotify. It helps me out so much. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye, guys.